Again, we are here and we're thankful for your, your grace, your mercy, for there's nothing that you have provided to us that we are rightfully deserving of, but it's because of your love, your grace, your mercy that you see it sufficient to be patient and long-suffering toward us. Father, please bless the word that will go forward uh, this day, uh, that you give to me the things that you would like me to uh, share, not what my flesh wants to uh, speak, but what the Spirit would have me to share uh, with your people. Father, help us to apply your word to our daily lives. Uh, Help us to not just be listeners uh, of your word. Help us to not just be those who study your word, but help us uh, through wisdom to actually apply your word to our daily daily lives, Father. Again, be with us throughout this worship service and this embrace of your word. Uh, We ask this in the great name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Always good to be uh, in the house of God. Um, I know last week I was I was a bit down, and so today uh, Shiloh and uh, Sister Sahili are also in a similar uh, situation. So keep them in in your prayers as well. We know that brother brother Miles had to go to uh, the emergency room this morning. So keep him and keep Sister Miles. Uh, in your prayers as well. We know that the Davis family uh, is home. We also know that Sister Sister Johnson, Monique Johnson, is home um, un- under the weather as well. So we have several several that are out, so please keep them, keep them all in your prayers, and I know that I may be missing some also. So good to see Brother Albert, um, especially up here doing the word of encouragement. That in and of itself is an encouragement. Uh, and then on top of that, he shared a deep word as as well. So just so so thankful uh, for for all all of that. We are going to be in Genesis chapter two. Genesis chapter two. Appreciate Brother Jackson for those melodious songs of Zion, uh, as well as the reading of our text, and Brother Dorton for carrying out. Uh, the other aspects of worship by way of communion as well as uh, collection. Genesis, Genesis chapter 2. We will just again go back for devotional sake and look at verses 21 through 25. Genesis chapter 2. Verses 21 through 25. Again, I am reading from the English Standard Version. So the Lord caused a deep, a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his one of his ribs and closed its place with flesh. 
And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, as we said a couple of weeks ago, Adam gets happy. He says, this is, this at last is bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Again, divine creation and the reflexive image of God. Divine creation and the reflexive image of God, and this is part 10. God willing, next week, perhaps, we will be making our way into chapter 3, where the paint starts to fall off the walls. But I think it's very important to spend quality time in chapters 1 and in chapters 2 so that we can look at and see and observe and investigate what God delivered to humanity, what God delivered to humankind from a creation perspective and from a Garden of Eden or Paradise perspective before the paint started to fall off the walls. That perhaps we don't spend enough time in Genesis chapter 1 and especially in Genesis chapter 2 where we can see what God created and how what God created that all of that was functioning perfectly. We know what happens when we get to chapter 3, but let's, let's just spend a bit more of our time here in chapters 1 uh, as well as chapter 2 in regards to God's perfect creation and God's perfect creation functioning with God in that harmonious and deeply unified uh, place, place as well. There are several things that we see here uh, going on, but really what I wanted to highlight again today is this deep notion throughout the biblical text that is rooted in this story of fertility. I know we've already had this conversation, but there is so much there in relationship to that theme that whether we're talking about the book of Genesis, whether we're talking about the book of Revelation, that the Bible has spanning to it from beginning to end and from end back to beginning, this theme of fertility. 
this theme that God is all about growth, that God is all about development, and, and God is not really in the business of, of us having something and simply attempting to maintain it. God wants us to have whatever it is that we have. He wants us to have that and to then grow that. Everything that God creates is designed to grow. It's not designed to simply hold on and maintain. So from a Christian perspective, we should all be able to positively speak to the reality that wherever we were last year at this same time, that we have grown. Ah, God is not in the business of what he creates moving backwards in time. God is not in the business of what he creates then losing uh, its strength or losing its power. Now, we know we live in this physical body, but based upon our minds, I may not be able to or you may not be able to do some of the same things you used to be able to do from a physical perspective, but that has nothing to do with how your love for God is to continually grow and blossom and mature and become more than it was even on yesterday. So children of God, based upon the theme of scripture, we are to grow as individuals and we are to grow as a collective body of believers. That God is about movement. God is about growth. And this is what he gives us as the introduction from a biblical perspective. He's letting us know that life Life is about, is about growth. Now, now we, we have a, a few places to go, and I'm, I'm trying to decide which one I should, I should give you first. Uh, and, and again, all of that is, is, is simply up to uh, uh, the spirit. But, but, but let's just understand that, that there's this essence and there is this reality uh, about our composition. So just, just quickly, go, go back to chapter 2. Verse, verse 15, uh, uh, Genesis chapter two, verse 15 and, 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 and mark your Bibles at, uh, first Corinthians chapter three around verse nine, but we'll probably start at about verse five or about verse, verse six, but, but just understand these, these dynamics, uh, as, as, as we move forward. So, so in verse 15, Genesis two, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. The Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Now drop up or go up again to verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils uh, the breath of life, and the man became a living creature or a living soul. Man is formed from the dust of the ground or the soil of the ground, 
And then God puts man in a position where it becomes, based upon verse number 15, he is created, based upon verse 7, from the soil. He is created from the ground. His name that we get generically is Adam, but he is created, as we've already said before, but he is created of the substance of Adama. Understand based upon verse 15, man is created from the soil. He is created from the dust of the ground and then God takes him and puts him, based upon verse 15, puts him or took him or took the man and put him in the garden to, to, to work it and to keep it. So God makes man of the substance that man is then responsible for taking care of. Man is intimately connected with the substance that he has to cultivate, with the substance that he has to take care of, with the substance where he has to get his hands dirty, and then man has to become, well, I don't know if we have time to go back, well, we'll have to uh, go back in some regards. Don't forget that concept of the azare. Don't forget that, that God is our ultimate azare, right? Then Eve becomes Adam's, Ultimate Azare, meaning that there's only certain things that God can accomplish through Adam if Adam has an Azare. If Adam has no Eve, then the fulfillment of God based upon fertility, based upon being fruitful and multiplying, that can't happen until God gives Adam his Azare. So Adam is now in the midst of the garden, but Adam is made from the very same substance that he is responsible for being its azare. The ground does not work unless there is someone there to keep and till and toil over that ground. I'm sure there are many of us here today that if we leave our ground unattended, if we leave it and don't do anything with it, it won't do what we want it to do. It has to be worked. It has to be tilled. It has to be cut. It has to be pruned. That something has to be done to the ground or else the ground will not work for us the way in which we want it to work. But in this situation, Adam is also made from the substance that he has to work on. Adam is made from the substance that where he has to be the Azare in conjunction with that substance. Well, the Azare meaning Eve, she is now made from the substance of man. Man is made from the substance of the ground in which he has to work. Woman is now made from the substance of the man, which she is supposed to help and support. Man has an attraction and a fond affinity to the ground, just like the woman has an attraction and a fond affinity to the man. Adam can't help but have a connection to the ground. He is of the ground. The woman can't help but have a connection to the man. She is of the man. Now, you may want to do all of that other stuff about what you need and what you don't need. 
But woman is made from the substance of man. So we can work that thing out. Man is made from the substance of the ground. So God puts him in the garden and says, now take care of it. Well, I'm, I'm in part taking care of me. While I'm taking care of the ground, I'm in essence taking care of me. And then God says to the woman, you make sure you take care of him. She can't help but take care of him because she is made. She is made from him. And so then when we look at Eve as the mother of all living, again, we're going back a little bit, but this is why there's such a fond affinity for children towards their mother. Even though their father is part of that reproductive process, all of us still come through our mothers, so there is a fond affinity there. So all of this is cyclical. All of this is based upon a pattern, and everybody has to serve each other because everybody is of the substance that they're over. And now as long as we are connected to what we are connected to, then my job will go the way it's supposed to, my wife's job will go the way it's supposed to, and my children's job will go the way that it's supposed to. As long as we stay in our lane, as long as we stay Day based upon the substance in which we were created. It's, 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 who, it's who we are. So as we are working with that, man is of the soil. So man has to cultivate the soil this is where as men we're on a steep learning curve because if we're moving this into that relational piece as it talks about in verses 24 and 25 therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Adam has a responsibility to the soil, cultivating the soil, protecting the soil, Working the soil, fashioning the soil, but now Adam has a wife. So now it's part of Adam's job to not just cultivate the soil, but cultivate his wife. Because she now also becomes part of the soil. He's responsible for. So that soil in her ah, has to be cultivated. The hands have to get dirty. But every now and then the soil doesn't act right. We are living in the space now where the paint has fallen off the walls. So every now and then the soil isn't what you want it to be. The soil doesn't act the way that you want the soil to act. That you need to add a little bit of water to the soil. 
to soften it up a bit. But now Adam, from this perspective where the paint has now fallen off, he has to water Eve. He has to cultivate Eve. But there might be moments where Eve is not acting like she wants to be cultivated. But Jesus is the head of the church the same way the husband is the head of the wife. So there are times where we are not acting right. But Jesus keeps loving us. Jesus, oh, you're not with me, church. But Jesus keeps cultivating our soil. While we are getting on his last nerve, Jesus does not move away from us. He actually steps closer and figures out, well, Amar, where do you need to be touched? Where do you need to be massaged? Where do you need to be watered? You're giving me a hard time right now, but because I love you and you are my soil, I'm going to keep cultivating. I'm going to keep watering. You're, 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 as if you're a sweet flower but really your disposition is like a cactus but God says you steal my soil so I'm going to keep molding you I'm going to keep shaping you it, it doesn't seem like I'm getting anything back in return but I'm going to keep watering Woo, this is where it gets tough but I'm going to keep molding I'm going to keep shaping because our picture it's Jesus and the church. And Jesus never gives up on us when we show up as rocky ground. Oh my goodness. Jesus never gives up on us when we show up as dry ground. Jesus never, never, never walks out on us when we show up with all of these thorns and all of these thistles and all of these briars and all of these things that poke out and hurt. Jesus does not walk away from us. He keeps working. Keeps working with us. Go, go, go quickly. Go quickly. Uh, first, first Corinthians, first Corinthians, uh, chapter, chapter three. D just, just to, I want to, I want to keep reminding you that the Bible is a story of fertility. Now, again, I, I know that that's just not common language, and and and. And sometimes that language is blocked because of how we block sisters in the body of Christ. But sisters clearly understand this connection to God from a fertility perspective. But man, we can just brush that piece off. But it's, it's, it's a lens of cultivation that runs through scripture from beginning to end. I'm going to start 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to start around verse 5. But we're really trying to get uh, to verse, verse number 9. I'm going to need your help when we get to verse number 9. But the Bible says, and I'm picking up midstream. So you already know the background and the context of 1 Corinthians uh, 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 chapter 3. And really the whole book. But picking up at verse number 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed. As the, as the Lord assigned to each. Here comes cultivated language. Here comes fertile language. Because it's all throughout the biblical, the biblical text. Paul says in verse number six, I planted. Apollos watered. But God gave the growth. This is fertility language. 
This is the language of, of, of fertile soil. This is the language of fertile ground and how God works with the ground. We never get away from that, verse 7. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Verse 8, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. Verse 9, I need you to pay close attention, especially to what version uh, you have of the biblical text, because there's a word there that's only mentioned one time from a Greek perspective in the New Testament text. Verse number 9, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's husbandry. How many got husbandry? Nobody got one of them? Five? All right. What, 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 what you got? King James, what you, what you working with? King James, right? So King James brings out this rich language that we are God's husbandry. You know the work of husbandry. That, that's the work of, 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 of reproduction. That's the work of taking care of the soil. But there's so many kinds of husbandry. There's husbandry when you're dealing with animals and helping the animals uh, 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 to reproduce or recreate. But we're talking about this husbandry from the perspective of agriculture. Because God is always talking about how things relate to him based upon what grows out of the ground. But again, most of us perhaps... Have it to where it says, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. You're God's field. I'm God's field. The church is God's field. This is where he works with us. He's taking us back to Garden of Eden language. That, that God is always working with our soil. What kind of soil are you? Are you pliable soil? Or are you that kind of soil to where it's, it's as hard as dry clay? Are you fertile ground? Are you good ground? Am I fertile ground? Am I good ground? Or, or am I that hard stuff? Every now and then there's some, there's some weeds in the yard because I haven't been tilling it appropriately. I haven't been guarding it appropriately. I haven't been protecting it appropriately. So therefore, some imposterous weeds are able to settle in and, and, and take up residence and then camouflage themselves as if they are a luscious plant. It's like, wait a minute, upon further review, you don't belong here. Sometimes they get so entrenched that as the one engaged in husbandry, I got to add some water to soften up that soil so that what should not be in there can be plucked out. But sometimes we can be so hard. We can be so dried out. That the stuff that's connected to us that should not be connected to us before God can get it out, he has to water us. He has to soften us up so that what needs to be extricated, what needs to be removed from us can be removed. Go, 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 go back to Genesis 2. What, what kind, of, kind of soil are you? 
Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked. They were not ashamed. We don't, we don't get a picture. We don't get, we don't get the numerology behind exactly how long Adam and Eve lived in the garden before the paint started falling off the walls. Trust me, this wasn't, oh, on the eighth day. It doesn't work that way, that, oh, it was just that fast. No, they are spending time with each other in relationship with each other, having dominion and subduing the earth with each other. We just don't get the exact time frame. Was this 50 years? Was this 100 years? Was this 200 years? Was this 300 years? We don't necessarily get the time frame, but we do know that at some point after that the paint started to fall off. But that for, I would imagine, a significant amount of time, there they were as husband and wife. There they were as first man and first woman, having children, all of these other things taking place. And then Adam and his wife were both naked, but not ashamed. So it's a bit hard for us to contemplate that reality because we live post the fall and can't fully comprehend what it means to have lived pre the fall. But we are striving to get back to that kind of place and that kind of mindset via the church. The unfortunate reality is that sometimes in the church, all we do is tolerate each other. We're not in a position where we actually prefer one another, which means we are missing the Garden of Eden paradigm that connects itself to the church. If I have a more, uh, uh, if I have a deeper connection with people on my job than I do with people within my faith community, we have lost the fullness of the Eden message. Because this is supposed to be the place where you can be metaphorically naked in God. There's no expectation that you should ever feel like you have the ability and the vulnerability to be naked on your job or naked in the classroom, but you should have the vulnerability to be naked in the kingdom of God. But this is where we do the most hiding. This is where we put on the most facades. This is where we put on uh, uh, the face of hypocrisy and only you know it. Sometimes people on your job know more who you are than the people that are supposed to be naked with you in the ecclesia. 
Now, this hiding business, man and woman have been hiding from each other since the paint started falling off the walls in the Garden of Eden. We are still hiding right now. It is so backwards and upside down that some people even hide by showing their nakedness. I'll let you chew on that a bit. That while they are showing themselves in a provocative or naked disposition, it's really so that you see my body so you don't actually see my mind. You see my body so you don't actually hear and you can't actually see and you can't actually intuit how, how, how insufficient I feel. That no, I would prefer that you look at my muscles. I would prefer that you look at my backside or whatever it is you want to look at. I would prefer that you see that and not my mind because if you see my mind, you would know that I feel inferior. So I'm going to show you all of this other stuff to distract you from seeing and knowing who I really am. And yes, there are times where we put clothes on to actually hide who we really are. There are things we might drive. There are places we might live. There are degrees that we might have. And all of that becomes a tool to how I can hide so you can't really see me. You just know me as Dr. Sahili, but who are you really? That's a tool to hide behind. That fancy suit is a tool to hide behind. That nice car is a fancy tool to hide behind. That big house, you're just hiding behind that. But who are you without that? Because we're just hiding. We don't want people to really know who we are. It's not about nakedness. Because now, from this diabolical world that we now live in, nakedness is now used as a tool for hiding. Let me just show you how much I can hide. So, husbands and wives are hiding. You know, one of the biggest tools of hiding is anger. When I get angry... That's the biggest flex of hiding. We hide behind the flex because the anger might cause somebody to back up. Because the anger steps in so you cannot tap into the true emotion that undergirds the rationale for that anger. So then we're just hiding. Sometimes it could be tears. Where some people use tears to hide. Where their tears are manipulative. No, I just want you to see my tears because I don't want you to really know how I feel. But I hope that my tears will throw you off. I, 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 I hope that my mindset, I, I hope that my disposition, uh, I hope that my, my, my dress code will throw you off. So you never have to look deeply at who I really am. Because the paint has fallen off the wall. So now we are figuring out. Multiple ways to hide, even from a spouse. But God said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother 
and cleave or hold fast to or be glued to his wife. And they shall become because it's a process of becoming. Yeah, there's this notion of as soon as you say I do and all of that different stuff, you are one. But once God announces and pronounces you as one, now you are on a mission to become. Because that's not just something that happens at the altar. Well, I said I do. She said I do. So now we are one. You are one from a cosmic and from a spiritual perspective and even from a legal perspective to one in one form or another. But the true art of becoming one is a process. And there are people that have been married for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years, and they are still working on the art of becoming one. Yes, they're one from a marital perspective, but they are still striving to become one. And in this nation in particular, Every marriage is in a vulnerable spot. I don't care how sweet it looks on the outside. Because in this nation, marriage is based on a what have you done for me lately. That's the whole notion of marriage, that that we put more attention and, and energy into the marital day. into the day of the ceremony than we actually put into what it means to spend a lifelong journey of becoming one. So in this nation, marriage is oftentimes based upon how you meet my needs. That's not an Old Testament paradigm. There's some of that in there, but it's interesting how perhaps I can walk away from a marriage because it no longer meets my needs, but I stayed on that job for 40 years. So why not the same logic? Why not the same commitment? Why not the same dedication? Because from an Old Testament perspective, from an ancient perspective, this is also how they understood marriage. That not only is it about having needs met, not only is it about having communion one with another, this is also in some ways a business deal. And you would be out of your mind to walk away from it. This is why God has such a hard time and a problem with when men were expelling women Outside of the marriage, when men were divorcing women for no apparent reason whatsoever, he said, you know this is a business deal. And you just broke your covenant. You just broke the contract. Now she has no way to be fortified within herself. You broke the deal that both of you agreed to. And now she is left in an inferior spot. God detests that reality. You no longer meet my needs, so I'm contemplating leaving. The text says, leave your father and mother, hold fast to his wife, 
they shall become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked. They were not ashamed. As we add just two more passages and close out, just keep in your mind that God works with us because we are his field. We are his husbandry. Now today the terminology of husbandry has somewhat of a different connotation. Husbandry in 1 Corinthians 3.9 refers to the field. Husbandry from a modern day perspective refers to really much more as was being discussed in terms of Genesis 2.15. Husbandry connects to the way in which we work with the ground and the way in which we help the ground become productive but again, God is the ultimate azare, so we can pluck, cultivate, plant, and prune. But none of us have the ingenuity or the visual insight or the prophetic instinct to be able to see inside the ground and watch that carrot become a care that then again 1 Corinthians 3 5 through 9 that then becomes the business of God but through faith we cultivate through faith we till through faith we 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 we, we prune through faith we plant and we just have faith that through the process of God it will grow we can't see the growth but we have faith in God that if we do our part, if we do our faith part, that the ground and what the ground is producing will grow. So before we get to these last two passages for the closing, I just need you to remember that God operates on us through husbandry. We are his field. We are his soil. God is the one watering us. But how appreciative are you? You even know this. This is an, an aside. I believe that's uh, Luke 13, perhaps somewhere we're somewhere around uh, verse number nine, where it's the story of, 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 of the fig tree and the fig leaves and all of that. And, and the figs are not producing uh, any, any, any figs or the leaves aren't producing any figs. And, and the problem that Jesus had and the thing that Jesus Christ stated is he said, why cumbereth? Why cumbereth up the ground? In other words, if you are not going to utilize the nutrients and the resources of the soil to help you become what you're supposed to be to help you produce figs, because last time I checked, you're a fig tree. So you're supposed to produce figs. Last time I checked, you're supposed to be a Christian so you're supposed to be able to produce the fruit that Christians produce. But God says, why are you cumbering up the ground? Why are you using up space? 
Why are you taking in the nutrients of the soil? Why are you taking up the water? Why are you uh, 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 basking in the rays of the sun and you know that you are never going to grow? He's saying, so you really need to move out the way so someone else can be planted. If you choose not to grow, God says, I'll remove you. Last two passages, 2 Peter 1, 5 through 9. I'll try to quote the King James Version because, again, there's that language. There's that language of fertility where Peter is reminding the church He says, whereby giving unto us the exceeding great and precious promises that by these we might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. He says, beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, add fertility language. You think your faith isn't supposed to grow? This is post fruit of the spirit implantation. Come on, this is Christianity 101. Come on now. This is post Holy Spirit implantation. Because you received him upon conversion. You received, I received the gift of the Holy Spirit as soon as I became a member of the body of Christ. But now the text, Peter is reminding the church, he says, now add to your faith. They already have the Holy Spirit. They already have the fruit of, they already have the ability to produce the fruit of the Spirit. He says, now you Holy Spirit-filled saints, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge. To knowledge, temperance, to temperance, patience, to patience, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. Fertility language. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you should neither be barren ah, nor unfruitful. In the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The New Testament text is about to close out. Peter's close to death and he's still talking about make sure you are not unfruitful and make sure you are not spiritually barren. Genesis to Revelation is a story of fertility. It's a story about growth. God is not into us just being static and maintaining where we are. It's actually, it's actually a huge disservice and a disrespect to God. For me to be in the same spiritual place today that I was 10 years ago. Oh, but I'm still, I still show up. Hmm. Well, what are you really doing then? Because anything that is being fed by God, anything that is being watered by God can't help but to grow. It says it would make you that if we add these things to our faith, It will make us neither be barren nor unfruitful 
and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Just chew on that. But as we close, 1 John, 1 John 3, again, John the Revelator. Closing out the ancient biblical text, we're talking about biblical books of the Bible written in the A.D. 90s. The last prophet, the last inspired person of God to put pen to paper. He's at the end. It's A.D. 90-something. And here, John the Revelator is still having a fertility conversation. He's about to close up shop. He's going to pen the book of Revelation that God gave to him. Then his life is over. So this is not just a Genesis story. This is a biblical story from beginning to end. Somebody's asking, well, why am I not growing? Why am I stuck? Why am I not reaching the places that God would have me to be? Why have I been in the same spiritual place for the same or for the last 10 years? Why am I not seeing growth? Why do I not have an intimate relationship with the word of God? Why is it burdensome for me to read the Bible? Why is it that I start reading a few verses and then I just end up saying, this is too difficult, I don't understand. And then I just turn on cable to Showtime or HBO or YouTube TV and I'm immediately enthralled. But the biblical text that could run circles around power or any other show you like and love can't get with this. But I could get with that. You could get with this or you could get with that. That's God's theology. So somebody's wondering, why, why am I not growing? Why am I not moving? 1 John 3, 8. Whoever whoever practices or whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Now, don't let the paint fall off your life. This doesn't say whoever sins. Notice that first phraseology. Whoever makes a practice, this is who you are. This is what you do, not a momentary slip. Even though our momentary slips are often planned. Come on, let's just be real. I know you're super cute this morning. But but even when we slip, we played a part in that. We helped set the table for that. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Why? For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Just briefly tonight, we're going to look at 
the creation of angels, when angels were created, dynamics around the devil, and when the devil was kicked out of heaven. We probably won't get through all of it tonight, but we need to know some of that story because that's going on in Genesis. 1, 2, or Genesis 2, for Genesis 3 for sure, and then ongoing. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Verse 9, fertility language. No one born, what does your Bible say? No one born. Anybody have something other than born? Verse 9. No one born. Anybody? No one born or perhaps reborn. No one born of God. Get this fertility language. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. I can be in the church for 40 years, but have not come in contact with the fertility essence of God. It's quiet. No, I'm around the saints. I've been going to church for 50 years. Has God dropped his fertile seed into you? That's where it is. Now, since you're looking strange, you might have me go back and have some more conversations about the Azair as it relates to sex and procreation, since you're looking strange. So the Azair, as, as Eve becomes Adam's help meet or Adam's helper, is in the realm of procreation. So that they can meet the mandates of being fruitful and multiplying. Adam could not do that by himself. But anytime we go out of our way and we create an Azair. And we go outside of the divine created Azair for that particular need. We are on dangerous ground. So Adam and Eve as the first two. They are now responsible for being fruitful and multiplying. So there's a dual dynamic there. They get to be together sexually to produce more and more offspring. But they also get to be together sexually to produce the euphoria. Oh, see? You was looking cute, so now this is where we are. To produce the euphoria that comes along with sex. And the climax process. From a psychological perspective, drugs can only make us feel and experience feelings that the body can already naturally produce. Drugs don't provide a feeling. 
that the body cannot produce by itself. So as Adam and Eve are in paradise and they are being fruitful and multiplying and they are walking around naked and they are not ashamed, they are also having a euphoric sexual time. I know y'all too cute and y'all Church of Christ. I got it. But this is, this is their life. They don't need a blunt. They don't need fentanyl. They, they don't need a, a, a fifth of gin. They don't need some grand marier. They don't need anything to put them on a spiritual high. They have each other. Drugs are designed to help us feel what the body already can naturally and does naturally produce. But the only way Adam could get that feeling was with the Azare of his wife. The only way Eve could get that feeling would be the Azare of her husband. So if you or I start figuring out another way to get that euphoric feeling sexually, and it's not with your husband as a zare, it's not with your wife as a zare, you're damaging your soul, your spirit, and your psychology. Even if, you're, even if you play the role of your own a zare. All right, y'all, y'all super cute today. You try to bring euphoria to yourself. So now you just told God, I'm about to be my own Azare. You said to your creator that you're about to be your own satiator. I'm about to soothe myself. Because I don't have time to wait for an Azare. As a matter of fact, I don't know if I'll ever get an Azare. So therefore, I'll just be my own. Back to verse 9. This is all connected. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Why? God's seed abides in him. What's the Greek word for seed? Sperm. Y'all cute? Be cute with God. God says, if I put my sperma in you, you cannot keep on sinning. My seed will not let you practice sin. So somebody practicing sin, someone living a lifestyle is sin. That's the evidence of someone that does not have God's sperma, that does not have God's seed in their life. It's as simple as that. One plus one equals two. Lifestyle disobedience, according to the text, not a slip here and a slip there. I'm talking, this is how I'm living. Oh, you don't have God's seed. God, God's sperma does not live. This is a story of fertility from front to back, from Genesis to Revelation. 
No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him. Look at this strong language. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Somebody born of God? You can't be stagnant for 10 years. You got God seeding you? And you're not growing? You got God seeding you and, and, and you... Uh, Got a side dude or a side woman for five years? And this is how you are living, but you come to church every Sunday? You ain't got God's seed. God's seed won't let you go there. God's seed won't let you. I didn't say it. It's in the text. And John was giving his farewell. I'm about to be martyred, but I'm going to drop y'all with this last story of fertility. If you have God's seed, you cannot practice sin. You cannot live a lifestyle of sin. Nine and ten again. No one born of God. Maybe I should have my notes, Los. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning. Why? Because he has been born, born of God. That means the spirit of God has overtaken your life and the seed of God was planted in your life. So you are no longer who you used to be. I was just with some people and we were talking about spiritual stuff I told them I said you know I made some rap albums back in my day I said but an interesting thing happened that we went to the studio and I laid my tracks down I laid my lyrics down in the studio Sister Edwards we we, we finished the song but somewhere between me being in the booth recording that song, between that time and the song being finished, God's sperma, God's seed entered my life. And I said, I'm sorry, y'all. I got to go back. And re-record my verse. That verse. Is no longer. Who I am. Oh. That verse no longer represents. Who I am. How I carry myself. Or what I'm about. But. It don't take that long to record the song. And then produce the final cut so I don't know I don't know if we're talking about two weeks I don't know if we're talking about one week I don't know if we're talking about one month I can't recall the timeline but before that song was ready to be put out for mass consumption like Biblos every now and then I'm wondering where, where's that where's that version somebody got it 
Somebody got the version with the lyrics that don't represent me. I don't know where it, hopefully it never surfaced. It was post-conversion lyrics. Pre-conversion lyrics that now could no longer stand in a post-converted space. Now, that doesn't mean there are things that, that haven't been done. Sure, there are. I, I can't do anything about that. But this was at least one area where I could say, nah, that's real time. That can't go out right now. I'm, I'm different. We haven't put it out yet. Let's, I got to go back in the booth. Change. <laughs> How do you know when you have God's seed and when you've been born again? The spirit overtakes you and who you were. And I see people, they, they like still use profanity and still try to like, you know, be on the edge. I'm like, no, that's what I did pre-conversion. I ain't bringing that into where I am now. That was then. I'm not trying to do or be who I was pre-Christ. Now in Christ, language is different. Mindset is different. Behavior is different. Why? I have a seed. And his seed forces us, compels us to do right. Verse 10, we're done. But by this, it is evident. Deal with the text. By this, it is evident who are the children of God. And who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. I could come to church every Sunday and not be a practicer of righteousness. I can come to worship every Sunday and not be a practicer or someone engaged in the practice of justice. That's what righteousness means. It's not of God. Nor is the one who does not love his brother. I'm done. You're the soil. I'm the soil. And God gets his hands dirty in our soil box. What kind of soil are you? Is, is God forming and fashioning you so that you can become a Christian? Or is God as the master potter continually forming and cultivating you to become more and more of a Christian each and every day of your life? What kind of, we already in 2024 with that language, but again, what kind of soil are you? Because this is where God works with and God works on us as he shows up as our husbandry. But if you have people you are responsible for, how do you show up in their soil box? When you show up, does my soil go dry? When you show up, does my soil become hard like clay? Or when you show up, does my oil, does my soil become fertile and productive to want to do even that much more the things 
of God. Stand to your feet. Looks like everyone here for the most part is a member of the body of Christ. But if you are not, Jesus is cultivating soil to get you ready so that you can be born again. And so that God's sperma, so that God's seed can be placed in your life. But it's up to you to believe the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Repent of all of your past sinful ways. Confess the sweetest name on mortal tongue or be baptized in water for the remission of your sins. Coming up a new creation in Christ Jesus, living the rest of your life as a disciple of God, as a child of God, as a Christian. And God will never take his hands off your soil. He will continue to massage you and give you what you need and what I need to be productive in his kingdom. Please respond as we sing the song of encouragement.